If you have your Bibles today, or your device, or whatever you're following God's word on today, um, I'd like you to turn to me to 1 Chronicles 29. I love this passage. I love this subject. You know, people have asked me from time to time, Larry, if you could pick three things that has revolutionized your relationship with God, that has brought you closer to God, more in tune with his heart, more able to walk with him the way he wants, um, what would those things be? And I said, that's easy. First and foremost, spending time, quality time with God and his word. I'm not talking just about reading a little devotion. I'm talking about immersing myself in the word that reveals who Jesus is. I love him. I want to know him there. And this is where I find him. Secondly, praying. Spending concerted time talking with God, enjoying communion with him, laying out my needs and listening to his voice. Praying to God has brought me closer. And the third thing without question is giving. Learning that everything belongs to God, nothing belongs to me, and by yielding all of those possessions, I actually learn to yield myself so that I become an instrument through which God can work. Those three things. Time in the word, time with God in prayer, and giving. That's why this message today about God owns everything is really not about money. It's really about whether or not God is going to have his rightful place in all of our lives. King David wanted to build a temple, a palatial temple, for the worship of God in Jerusalem. God had given him the plan. But this thing was so palatial and so amazing, it was going to take more resource than apparently anyone could have. But God said, David, you're not going to build the temple for me because you've been a man of bloodshed, but your son Solomon's going to build it. And he's going to build it by using the things that I've put in your hand. I own everything, and I'm going to give you what you need to do this. God owns everything. Everything belongs to him. And the more we learn that, the more we experience the joy of not owning anything, but simply being a steward manager of all the things God's put in our hands for his glory. Here's how David told their story in 1 Chronicles 29. Here's how God did his work through the people. Then King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. 
for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. And David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers Abraham and Isaac and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. God, thank you for these principles that are truly life-changing. A lot of people won't believe these. A lot of people won't do it. But for those who will, there is joy waiting as they learn the kingdom principle that everything belongs to God. So, Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to believe today. Thank you for the many people in our church who already know these things and who practice them faithfully. May you help all of us, God, to experience this joy. And we'll thank you in your precious name. Amen. You know, I've shared with you many times before that uh, giving was a problem with me when I first became a Christian because um, I didn't want to give anything. I just thought it as God after my money, and I thought, I ain't doing it. So I'd give a little bit here and a little bit there, but it was leftover stuff. And I had to learn that it all belongs to God. Pastor Glenn Evans teaches a class every couple times, couple times a year in our church called the Good Sense Budget Class. I highly recommend it. I'm not exaggerating when I say it has transformed the lives of hundreds of people. But in those classes, he uses some videos, and one of them is about God's pie. Now, this is the way... I used to approach giving with God. Take a moment to watch this video. Don't get shame. 
Arigato. German and Japanese car makers. Oh, I couldn't. Well, maybe just a bite. Forget the interest. Brought the pie. Now, for years, um, that's how I treated giving. I didn't know that it was, hey, dude, he brought the pie. It all belongs to God. But so often, we align our priorities such that we give something to God if there's anything left. And usually when we get done with what we want, there's not much left. And we even, like that guy, resent giving God anything. I was like that for a long time. About seven years ago, God used an experience in my life. I was uh, in Minnesota. I shared, I shared about seven years ago a time when our kids were little. We used to go to this place called Gull Lake in Minnesota for vacation. Carla's uncle owned a place there. It was beautiful. It was a lake in the back, lake in the front, a little peninsula. He had golf course and golf cart and a boat and tennis court and all this stuff he let us use. And there was going to be an Olson family reunion on Carla's side. And so we went a week early. He let us come a week early just to have the place all to ourselves. So I'm using all this stuff all week. And I noticed when other family members started showing up, they started taking the golf cart and the golf clubs and the tennis rackets. And I'm sitting there getting a little bit annoyed. They're using my stuff. Now, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. But I even got a little bit annoyed when her uncle came who owned the whole place and who <laughs> whose golf clubs were very nice and I was using all week long when he came he wanted to use his own clubs and I was going to use this rinky dink set left in the garage and I found myself thinking I don't want to do that 
I, I want that. And I'll tell you, man, I'm embarrassed to tell you I was there. But that's what happened. And it was out of that experience trying to work through those emotions that God said to me at the time, Larry, you do this to me all the time. You're always treating my stuff like it's your stuff. And then when I come and I ask you for it or I want to use it for something else that you don't have planned, you, you stand there feeling a little resentful that like I'm using your stuff. It, it isn't that way. I own everything. It all belongs to me. It was a moment that helped me to move from being an owner to a steward. You know, it's very freeing when you learn this because a steward is one who uses and manages the property of someone else. Everything belongs to God, so at best we are allowed to use God's stuff and we're called to manage his stuff to accomplish his purposes, but we don't own anything. So whether you have a little piece of God's pie or you have a big piece of God's pie, it's all God's pie. Common sense will tell you nothing belongs to us. You came into the world with nothing and you're going to leave with nothing. That's because none of it belongs to you. It's all God. Psalm 49 says, and by the way, when you're gone, he's going to give that stuff to somebody else. King David understood this, which is why he gave so generously to God's plan to build the Jerusalem temple. David had longed to build it, but God said, nope. In 1 Chronicles 28, you've been a man of bloodshed. Your son's going to build this. And David said, well, he's young and inexperienced, and this is a palatial structure. In fact, when you see the requirements of the plan that God gave David, you're thinking, there is no way anybody could build a building like this. So how God's gonna, how's God going to do it? He's going to put into the hands of David and his people what they're going to need to accomplish his work. And they did that. They gave generously because it wasn't their stuff. David himself personally gave 110 tons of gold, 260 tons of silver, along with bronze, iron, wood, precious stones, and linens. The people gave 190 tons of gold, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, 3,750 tons of iron, as well as precious stones beyond counting. Now, what was the result of all of this? Everything for building the temple was supplied. God's plan was carried out, but there was joy. In fact, David said quite carefully in verse 9, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders for they had freely given and wholeheartedly to the Lord and David the king also rejoiced greatly. They broke out in praise, gratitude, and glory to God all because they understood the principle that David articulated in verse 16. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. When we believe that everything belongs to God, it frees us to live with the joy that God intended. And what is that way that God wants us to live? Well, it's quite simple. We give ourselves first completely to God, and then we give our possessions willingly to God.
When we know God, we know everything belongs to God, we can give ourselves more completely. Now, besides all the corporate gifts that David gave as king of Israel, notice what he says in verse 3. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I provided for his holy temple. And he goes on to describe that. Then he says in verse 5, now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Who's all in? Years ago, our family visited a camp in Northern California. Our kids, high school kids went there a couple seasons called J.H. Ranch. J.H. Ranch has a ropes course, as many camps do, and they had this thing there called the 747. I wanted to try it. I shouldn't have, but I did. It's all about faith, they told me. I thought it was about terror. There was this pole 40 feet that went 40 feet in the air. Now, it's about 30 feet to the top of this ceiling. That gives you an idea of how high 40 feet is. Now, on top of that 40-foot pole is a 12-inch by 12-inch square that's screwed down. And you climb up this pole with the knots on the side where the branches were, little nubs, and you get to the top and you have to work yourself up on this square. Then you stand there, and seven feet above your head is a trapeze bar which is no problem. I'm six feet tall. I can reach up, easily grab it, but it's seven feet out in front of you, so you can't reach it. So the idea is, by faith, you have to jump off this pole, grab the bar, and they're going to lower you to the ground. Now, when you're standing on the pole, it seems like you're a mile and a half from the earth. I've got this harness on, and that bar looks like you could reach out and just touch it. So I thought, this is a piece of cake. So I just kind of gave a little leap. I just grabbed it slightly with one hand and my fingertips on the other, and I came right off with my weight, and I'm falling. I don't know how far they let you fall, but you get the lesson. <laughs> and then that, hand, that harness snatches you up, and your heart's going 100 miles an hour. Now, why, why did I fail? Because I thought, I can just... Give it a little bit and it's going to work, but you can't. I learned from that thing. If you don't go all in to grab that bar, you'll never make it. I don't care how close it looks, you're never going to make it unless you are all in. People, the, one of the faith lessons I learned that day was it's, it's no different when it comes to life with God. One of the reasons that so many people never grow, never experience the fullness, never enjoy the abundance, and I'm not talking about material the abundance of the kind of life that Jesus is offering is that they're half-hearted in their devotion. They're not all in. They think they can do this part way, but they can't. That all-in life of wholehearted devotion, trust, and obedience is called the consecrated life, which is why David used that word when he said, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Because you see, David understood it was not about giving. It was not about money. It was not about resource. It was about who is really surrendered to God and who isn't. Who's all in and who's not? Who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? That word consecrate is an interesting Hebrew word. It literally means to fill his hand. To fill his hand. To give all that I am and all that I possess completely into God's hands so that I become an instrument that God can now use however he chooses for his purpose. 
it's all in. David knew that unless he and his people were consecrated to God, that plan that God had given him for that building would never get off the ground. It would never be finished. So he gave himself completely to God and he asked people to do the same and they did it. That's the key to the abundant kind of life Jesus was talking about. A willing, a willing consecration. It's a giving of ourselves wholly to God and holding nothing back. We are to count the cost of following Jesus and go all in. Anything less, the Lord's brother James wrote, will make you double-minded, unstable in all you do. You'll always be tossed back and forth between what God wants and what I want. And this is where most Christians fail. They're only partially committed. They never become true disciples of Jesus. They live for God in part of their life, but they live for themselves in other parts of their lives. They don't live consecrated lives. They're living compartmentalized lives. They're part of the crowd that's following Jesus, but they're not real disciples. They may be saved, they may not be saved, but they're in the crowd following Jesus, but Jesus is looking for disciples. Do you remember in Luke 14, Luke wrote this, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said. It was never a problem for Jesus to get a crowd. Crowd is not a church. Lots of people can be in the crowd following Jesus, but he's looking for disciples. And so what he said to the people in the crowd was stunning. It was hard. They didn't like it. And he said to them in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now you hear what he's telling them? Unless I'm truly first, unless you've surrendered everything to me, unless you love me more than your mother or father, more than your wife or children, more than any other thing on earth, you're always going to be torn in this conflict. Someone or something is going to have more of your life than I do, but if you give yourself wholly to me, then your marriage, then your relationships, then your family, then all these other things can work the way they're supposed to work. But if you get me out of my proper place, it's never going to happen. You can't be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, cannot be my disciple. People to call to follow Jesus is not to come and have a fun experience. It is to come to have a blessed experience, a life transforming experience, to become someone you were not before. And believe me, there is joy in this. But it's not about us, it's all about him. The call to follow Jesus is the call to take up a cross. Now in the first century, everybody would have understood what that meant. Because when people went by carrying crosses, they were going one place. They were going to die. There was no coming back. True followers of Jesus die to themselves and they live for him. They're all in. They're the ones who say, Lord, everything belongs to you, beginning with me. So I give myself wholly to you. I consecrate myself to you today. David knew if people really gave themselves wholly to God, there would be no lack of resource for the project. 
You remember the Macedonian churches that Paul used as an example in 2 Corinthians? Here's a group of Christians that are going through severe trial and extreme poverty. I've seen extreme poverty in North Africa. And he says this about them in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want, to, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Now I want to ask you, severe trial, extreme poverty, overflowing joy, rich generosity. When's the last time you heard those four things used in the same sentence? Severe trial and extreme poverty does not usually in most people's lives result in overflowing joy and rich generosity. But it did for the Macedonians. Because when they heard that Paul was taking up an offering for the hard-pressed believers back in Jerusalem, they pleaded with Paul, look, we know we're poor, we know we're going through persecution and loss, but don't you dare pass over us and rob us of the opportunity of being able to experience the joy of giving to this cause. Amazing. How did they have that attitude? Paul said in verse 5, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. And they exceeded our expectations. Look at this. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord. They consecrated themselves first. And then by the will of God also to us. See, that's the key. That's why David asked the people, who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? The issue is never, will we give or will we pray or will we serve? The issue is, am I willing to consecrate myself to the Lord today? Many of you already have. But if we as a people truly do that, there will be no lack of prayer. There will be no begging for people to serve. And there will be no shortage of resources to use. Everything belongs to God. Beginning with us. It's the key to joy. And not only giving ourselves more completely, but when we know everything belongs to God, we'll give our possessions more willingly. Now, notice what Paul said in verse 6, 1 Chronicles 29. Then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. Verse 9. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Verse 17, I know that my God that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I've given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. The leaders are doing it. The army commanders are doing it. The officers, the religious leaders, the family heads, the dads and moms, they're all doing it willingly. What a difference it made. Tony Campolo 
uh, is a guy I've heard speak a few times. He's a little controversial in his methods, but I'll tell you, the guy lives what he preaches. Uh, he was a former professor at the University of Pennsylvania, very outspoken on social justice issues. I was reading a piece where he was telling about um, how he got off a plane and he discovered he was scheduled to speak to a group of women at a World Day of Prayer event he had forgotten about. He rushed over to the meeting, held at a large wealthy church, arrived exhausted, not knowing what to say to the women gathered for the conference. Before calling him to speak, the leader of the meeting produced a letter from a missionary in Venezuela. Now here's how Tony Campolo said what happened. She read the letter from this missionary who had a hospital and they needed $5,000 desperately to put an extension on the hospital because they couldn't handle all the patients. She turned to me and she said, Reverend, would you please lead us in prayer that the Lord would provide for our sister in Venezuela? And I said to her, no. She was taken back by that. I stood up on the pulpit and I said, but I'll tell you what I will do. And it was a good day to pull it off because I was only carrying $2.25. He said, I pulled out my wallet, I pulled out the $2 and a quarter, and I slapped it down on the pulpit and I said, that's all the money I'm carrying, Madam Chairman. I want you to put all the cash you're carrying on the pulpit. There were about 1,000 women in this group. I said, I'm going to ask each of you to do the same. No checks, just the cash you're carrying. Now bring it up, lay it on the altar, we'll count up the money, and if we don't have enough, then I'll ask God to write out a check for the difference. The woman reached for her purse, took out $110 of cash that she was carrying, put it with my $2.25. $110 in cash. She said, why didn't I marry somebody like this? Anyway. I said to the ladies, we're on our way. We got $112.25. Then I said, you're next. And I pointed to a woman in the front row. She looked around and I said, no, I'm talking to you. (laughs) You get up here and put all the cash you're carrying on the pulpit. She got up, laid it on the altar. He then said to all the ladies, all right, I want us to get in line. One by one. And they did it. Money kept piling up, piling up, piling up. When it was all over, we counted the cash. We had over $7,000 instead of the five they were going to ask me to ask for. And I know we didn't get it all because I could see women giving me dirty looks as they were walking by. (laughs) And when it was done, I got up and I said, the sheer audacity of asking me to ask God for what he's already supplied. People, when it comes to God providing for his work, there is never a supply shortage problem. When it comes to asking God to do his work through us, there is never a supply shortage problem. It is always a distribution problem. God always puts in the hands of his people what he needs to get his work done. The matter becomes whether or not they will willingly give it for the purpose for which God gave. What a difference 
when people understand that everything belongs to God. And we become actual pipelines of God's provision rather than reservoirs for his storage. The thing that marked David and his people were, was their willingness. Time and time again in 1 Chronicles 29, they were willing. They were willing. It was their willingness. It was their willingness. And through that willingness, look what happened. The work gets done. The people are filled with joy. God is worshipped and praised by all the people. Paul once told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God will supply so that you can be generous. And God will give opportunities for us to give in order to test our willingness. That's why David said in verse 17, 1 Chronicles 29, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I've given willingly and with honest intent. And now I've seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. God gives opportunities for people to give to test the integrity of whether or not we really believe all things belong to God or whether they're a lot like me as I used to be, reluctantly giving, thinking God was taking my stuff. That's why Paul was using the Macedonian church to help the Corinthian church to understand that it wasn't about the money, it was about our willingness to be channels through which God could work. That's why he said in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. People, it isn't just rich in money. He's talking about rich in the things of God, in faith, in obedience, in worship, in generosity. And if in that process God decides he's going to entrust you with more material wealth, now he knows you'll know what to do with it. So he's able to put it in your hands. That's why Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. It's an integrity question. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. <laughs> Can't do it. So Jesus said, don't try. Surrender yourself and everything into my hands, and I'll show you what to do with it. He went on to say, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this. They were sneering at Jesus. They had a zillion excuses why they didn't need to give like that. 
people who are unwilling to give to God in this way are really robbing God. You remember the prophet Malachi? The whole society was in decline. God said, you want to return to me, then you got to start putting me first. One of the best ways to do it, start bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. You see what I will do in you and through you. See who really belongs to God and those who do not. It's a powerful message. When you know everything belongs to God, it changes the way you give. It changes the way you see God. It changes the way you pray. It changes the way you live. Quite a difference from those who say, well, you know, the church is only after my money. Well, people who say that have a glaring ignorance problem. Because first of all, they don't understand the purpose of the church. The church is Christ's body who's commissioned by God to carry out his purpose. The reason any church, if they're worth their salt and they're following Christ, they're only going to ask people to give if they're on a mission together that God has asked them to pursue. So there's their first mistake. They don't understand what the church is. And secondly, when they say the church is only after my money, it ain't your money. It's God's. But what a difference to those who know everything belongs to God and what's in my hands is for him to use. He can use it to meet my needs. He can use it to meet the needs of my family, the needs of others. And I also get the joy of participating in God's kingdom work. So I can use some of what he gives me to pay my bills. I can use some of it for my family. I can invest some in savings. I can put some in retirement. I can invest some. I can use some for a vacation. And on and on it goes. But the thing is, before I do any of those things, I've already given to God first. God isn't at the end of the table. He's the first piece. Because when you give God the first piece, you're reminded that everything else is his as well. I was reading a piece by Ed Young. He said, I took my family to a high school football game. During the third quarter, my daughter Landra said, Dad, can I have some money to buy some candy? He said, I'm not a big candy guy. But I said, Landra, here's five bucks. Go buy some candy. She came back with a sack full of Skittles. As I watched her eating them, I said, Landrick, can I have some Skittles? She said, no. I said, well, Landrick, just give me a couple. She said, no, they're mine. Now, my little daughter didn't understand several things. Number one, she didn't understand the fact that I was the one who bought the Skittles for her. Number two, she didn't realize my strength. I'm strong enough to forcibly take the Skittles from her hand and eat every one of them <laughs> if I wanted to. I could have done that. And number three, she didn't understand that I could have gone to the concession stand, put 300 packages of Skittles on a credit card, come back to her and given her so many Skittles, she wouldn't even be able to eat them in a year. And then Ed Young, Ed Young said, we all have Skittles. Some of us have a pretty nice-sized pile of Skittles. Others have a medium-sized pile of Skittles, and some of us have little bags of Skittles. Our loving God comes to each of us and says, would you bring me some Skittles? Just a few Skittles. So what is our reaction? No, they're mine. God says, well, just bring me some Skittles. But we say, uh-uh. 
I made these Skittles. I earned these Skittles. I own these Skittles. And like my daughter, we don't understand several things. God is the one who gave them to us. They're his Skittles. He bought them. He paid for them. In an instant, God could take all of our Skittles if he chose to do so. And we don't understand that God could also rain so many Skittles in our lives, we wouldn't know what to do with all of them. We all have Skittles. So here's the question. How do you see the Skittles in your hand? Are they yours? Or are they God's? The answer will be seen in how you give. How you give yourself. How you give your possessions. You know, people ask me from time to time, Larry, how can I have a completely surrendered life to God? I said, well, first of all, you really have to give yourself. You have to settle the issue. Am I living for me or am I living for God? Is it about what I want in life or is it about what God wants for me in my life? And once you settle that and you consecrate yourself to God, then that surrendered life can begin. He can begin to work in you and through you. And I said, secondly, you need to surrender ownership of everything to God. That you don't own anything. It all belongs to him. And I tell people all the time, one of the best ways to do this, to begin this, is by tithing. You take a tenth of everything God lets you earn, and you give that first to God before anything else. I can't do that. I can't afford to do that. No, you can't afford not to do it. God is your supplier. He can more than make up the difference, trust me. So you need to start with that. You need to do it today. Because if you can't win that battle, you're never going to win the rest of these battles. This is the simplest of things in consecration. Then, after you've done that for a while, I want you to begin to ask God, now what more do you want me to set apart for kingdom work? And you seek to increase that every single year. And you realign your priorities according to what God wants done. You do that. And I said, and you know what will happen over time? You're going to get to the point that the largest check you write every month is not your mortgage, it isn't your cars. It's the check you give for kingdom work. And let me tell you, when God has totally realigned all your priorities so that what you're giving to God is bigger than any other thing you pay, you will know the joy David was talking about. Because then you'll know. God, I don't own anything. It all belongs to you. That's why David prayed in verse 18. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. And keep their hearts loyal to you. All this giving stuff is never about money. It was all about God being God 
in our relationship with him. Father, thank you for these things that you're teaching us. I have a lot to learn. Even now with all of this, I still find at times that little hesitation, which is good because that's you testing the integrity of my heart. And Lord, I have to tell you, thank you for the things you're teaching me. Thank you for the many generous people in our church who have learned this lesson way ahead of me, who have been great examples to me of what it really means to surrender yourself fully to God so that you never have to ask people to pray, you don't have to ask them to serve, you don't have to ask them to give, you just tell them of the opportunity and their time and their money and their possessions, everything is yours at your disposal. God, may all of us learn the joy of this lesson so that in the coming year, you may have more of us and we may experience more of you. And we thank you, God, for these things that David is teaching us along with so many others. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.